don't funk with racism. We don't funk with people who don't support the LGBTQ plus community. And baby, we damn sure don't funk with anybody who don't love a beautiful black queen, baby. You see this tape? You don't let nobody act black and then go home and be white? It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. All right. Hey, you guys, my name is Morgan Gray, and I would like to welcome you all to the Afrocentric podcast. Woo! Yes. <laughs> All right, this week we will be discussing white brainwashing. Now, in the words of Dr. Umar Johnson, he said, and I quote, it only takes a little bit of white brainwashing to activate the coon chip in the average Negro. And I know this right. Amen. So it has come to our attention that the black community is not aware of the many cultural and social norms in America, which are rooted in white supremacy and racism. This episode is dedicated to highlighting and revealing the harmful effects of Eurocentric ideology in black culture and ways to combat it. All right. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you guys my speaker, Miss Yolanda Kelly. Booyaka, booyaka, booyaka. All right. Let me let me welcome welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah, got some stuff to talk about. Yeah, we do. Some real shit. So I'm gonna go ahead and read your speaker bio so they can know about you. So Yolanda Kelly is from Starville, Mississippi, but she is currently living in Memphis, Tennessee. She has been working in community outreach and community support for about four years in a few different capacities as an organizer for photo engagement and social justice, social justice campaigns and a community support specialist for houseless veterans. She currently runs a community outreach program for a music venue. Outside of her professional career, she liked to enjoy the food, good drink, and good music. In that order. In that order. I know that's right. All right. So let's just go ahead and hop on into the questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. All right, so the first question is, what are the politics of respectability and what effects do they, <laughs> what are the politics of respectability and what effects do they have on the black community in regards to the past? So what I'm going to do is read off the definition of politics of respectability or respectability politics is a form of moralistic discourse used by some prominent figures, leaders, or academics who are members of various marginalized groups. So the question is, what effects do they have on the black community? So a simple way to just explain respectability politics is just the way people have to present themselves to be seen as acceptable through society. So of course, through our history, we've seen how black people have been seen as lazy, they've been seen as violent, they've been seen as uneducated. So through our history, black people have always felt the need to present themselves in a certain way to be accepted, to be heard, to be valued. Um, and that has translated through our history even to now. Yeah, and I think that's a um, very important point because I feel like it affects the black community like way more than they realize. So um, let me tell you this story. So I was sitting in class. Um, it was an African-American civil rights movement class. And I took it with a white professor. And we were talking about respectability politics. And there's only like four black people sitting in the class. And he was like, he was explaining to the class what respectability politics were. But his perspective of it was extremely positive. Mm -hmm. He was talking about how it really helped the black communities, especially in the 60s and the 70s. It helped, I guess, make white people look at black people more equally, in a sense. So I got pissed off. And I was, yeah, because I was saying that I feel like respectability politics puts a lot of pressure on black people. Mm -hmm. It really does. It has a very negative impact. You're not able to be a flawed a human, just a human person. Yeah. 
um i do feel like and um i don't think a lot of black people realize it but like when society looks at us they look at us as a group we don't have the opportunity to be seen as individual people especially how we grew up um in the church that plays a big role in it too like we had to have our hair done we had to wear our clothes a certain way you just was not leaving the house looking any type of way and that's not to say that's a bad thing but you know sometimes i might be having a bad day I just might want to run to the stores and not have to do my hair, but my bunny, Monique. <laughs> <laughs> um, while you on this topic, let's talk about the extremism of respectability politics in the church. Because when you go to like super religious churches, like you know, you gotta wear you gotta wear a shawl, mm-hmm. you gotta have your jacket on. And let me tell you why. So they said when you put your two arms together like this. It looked like a vagina. And then they be talking about your shoes. You got to have your heels covered because when you put your two heels together, they look like two booty cheeks. Now, don't think about that. People who overly sexualize stuff. Thank you. So, I just, it, it's bad. It's bad, especially in the church, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. And I just want, I want people to be able to understand that I'll, there's a time and place for respectability mm-hmm. policy. Definitely is. And I can say it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Like, post-segregation, of course, people had to present themselves in a certain way to essentially not die. Um, so back then, it was it was beneficial. But I think in some ways, it has transformed. Um, and I think that the way you dress, the way you present yourself, the way you do things doesn't even change the way people feel about it. It's like, we can come in and somebody can have on a three-piece suit. And if they want to get, the police want to do something to them, like, it's not going to change anything about that. So um respectability politics really don't change how you're how you're seen and how you're treated in the, in society yeah i completely um i really agree with that it was a point i was gonna make but i think that you hit all the points that i was gonna make is there anything else that you want to talk about like in regards to like um respectability politics yeah. um i think in a lot of ways um our generation of people have kind of moved out of that but i know my mama she still is in a in a place where she feels like, you know, some things are not in order for, you know, some things you just shouldn't do. And I agree with that. Um, but I think that we are more open to being able to make mistakes, to be able to be seen as just a human person, not someone who has to be put together all the time, someone who has to always have a shit together because, you know, we don't. You know what? Okay, this is what I was thinking about. And I'm glad that you said that you feel like this generation has moved out of it. So here's our counter argument. I feel like when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, the way that the Coons was arguing, that is an example of respectability politics in modern culture. Mm-hmm. Another thing would be during the protests when um, people were rioting. I went out and I put quotations on it because I feel like sometimes to get um, to get stuff done, you have to act out of character. And um, for people to say that, oh, um, they were doing too much by um, rising. Now, they were doing too much by causing a scene, or they were doing too much. They were being too loud. They were being too angry. They were being all these different emotions. They are valid emotions. Um, anger is a valid emotion, and sometimes you feel that. Um, like, people always bring up the angry black woman stereotype, and it doesn't bother me because some shit just made me mad, and I don't have no problem with showing that emotion. I don't have no problem with telling people that I'm angry, and I feel like um, your passion, and if you care about something, you, you're going to show those emotions. I completely agree. Okay, so for y'all that don't know, um, the last time I saw Yolanda was in 2020. So um, I, let me tell this story. So um, I was on Twitter. Like, George Floyd had just died, and I wanted to protest so bad. So I got on Twitter, and I looked at your Twitter account, and you were talking about the same shit I was talking about. And I DM'd you, and I was like, whenever you get ready to go protest, let me come with you. And you was like, bet. So then um, Jay-Z, they were down there at the prison. Mm-hmm. What prison was it? Parchment. Yeah, who else was with him? Rock Nation. Yeah, they were all down there, but we didn't go. You hit me up and you told me about uh, Second Baptist protesting down there, mm-hmm. and there was there was a shit show in itself. Yeah, we ain't gonna talk about that. No, but what I wanted to bring up was the people that we met. The like specifically the uh, NCAA, the NAACP Starbucks chapter, and the difference between like 
the way that the older generation thought about how we should go about like protesting and stuff and the way that we wanted to go about protesting and i feel like that is where it is all rooted in like the old versus new but the point that i'm trying to make is the fact that when we did riot when we did go out there and we protested and we set everything on fire it made stuff happen they were doing respectability protests they were marching they were doing the absolute nothing least (laughs) they was doing the absolute least they was uh no resistance they was letting dogs like like, (laughs) and it took so long it took martin luther king getting shot for for the civil rights act to come out it took so much stuff it took the death of all our primary leaders for anything to even come out of it but we got out here set a couple blaze grass on fire you know what i'm saying stole a couple of drinks <laughs> at the walmart and guess what they they started turning legislation around so yeah i don't even feel the need to fight my angry black woman stereotype and i agree with you i feel like it's so powerful because can't nobody else get upset if you done like that all right so let's move on to the second question of the afternoon and it states how does the concept of respectability impact our lives today which we just talked about Mm -hmm. all right so the next topic we all can agree that homophobia is rampant in the black community do you believe that it is derivative from white supremacy why why not so these question number two states how does the concept of we all can agree that homophobia is rampant in the black community do you believe that it is derivative from white supremacy why or why not so i think that homophobia comes from parts of religious teachings but i also did that white supremacy plays a, a part in that because white supremacists believe that they want to protect the white race they want to keep you keep you um keep it pure and just like they feel that um black people are in the way of that they also feel the same way about people who are gay or bi or you know um, lgbtq community yes and it is it definitely is honestly and this is something i'm going to be talking about in my next episode um the culture of white people because i feel like huh they got a culture i actually i would argue that white people do have a culture and it's something that i would i would say that their culture is rooted upon racism rape uh pilgriming um what a pedophilia all that i feel like it's rooted in a lot of negative stuff and I feel like their actions reveal that in their day-to-day life, taken from other cultures and dumbing it down. Yeah, that's them. So I feel like they have, I feel like number one, being gay has a lot to do with the white community. And let me, let me tell you that. So um, I took a lot of uh, Roman classes, a lot of Greek mythology classes and stuff. And that really is like, greek mythology number one shows white people believe that the more information that you have on like greek mythology shows how well educated you are if anybody really studies greek mythology they will see a common theme of homo homosexuality and pedophilia like throughout a lot of common myths so um a great example of this would be with zeus who is they like main god he would like literally come out of the sky and transform into like an animal like a swan and come down and just break on a little boy just touch on him a little bit <laughs> that that's what he would do though and i i mean the mills the mills reflect the culture at the time mm-hmm. and you know that there was something that they were definitely doing so you come on down the line and then you got king james who was by the way bisexual and you got he's writing the bible and you know the original translation of the bible really doesn't have anything to say about homosexuality yes say it loud pedophilia so have you tried to explain this to a baby boomer Mm -hmm. what have you tried to explain it to a pastor tell me about this i mean so well y'all don't know me but morgan know me and i'm very opinionated and i don't have a problem with saying stuff that i believe so 
when you grew up in the church, you spend a lot of time going to classes. You spend a lot of time going to like vacation Bible school. You spend a lot of time doing conventions and shit like the whole fucking summer. The whole summer. <laughs> so they don't always expect people to actually want to have a dialogue about the stuff that they're teaching about. And me, we're going to talk about it. We're going to ask questions. We're going to ask questions. And if you can't answer them, then you go home and do your research. And we come back to class tomorrow. We're going to come back to it. Because that's how you figure things out. That's how you learn. That's, that's how you That's think. how you learn. But they people don't are so narrow-minded, especially people in the church. And I still go to church sometimes, not every Sunday, because you know, like they say, we be in brunch. But I be in church sometimes, and I read my Bible. I know my Bible. I know the Word. So I'm able to have a healthy dialogue about it, even if I don't believe. Even if I don't believe what you're saying, even if I don't even understand what you're saying, I want to ask you questions. And they don't really like to have that dialogue, because... When you are, have heard things for so long, you go to church your whole life and you always hear that being gay is wrong, then you don't want to hear anybody else telling you that, you know, maybe that's not true. We need to rethink that. Yeah. And I think that's definitely true, especially when it especially when you're talking about not wanting it's the whole thing about Christianity is a faith based religion. So they're supposed to just tell us and you gotta take it at their mm-hmm. word. But when you think critically what if anything, do you just take it somebody's word without actually rationally and critically thinking about it, evaluating and then testing it out? This this fucking science yeah, right this, there. This you, here we go. So tell me about you explaining to the pastor about homosexuality. So I just asked, have he ever heard the fact that people say that homosexuality is not in the Bible, that it's pedophilia? And he said that he never heard that. And I said, well, have you... Um, when you go to seminary, is that something that y'all talk about? Because Bible scholars, people who go to school actually to read and understand the Bible for what it is, not for what you read and how you thought it up in your mind, but how it's actually written and what it actually means, say that this is what it says. Um, you know, they don't like to be wrong. It's, that's a, a big thing about a lot of pastors, especially in our area and in the South. Um, they, they are right. Um, All the time about they have a congregation. They they support that. You know, we'll have to have a conversation about the black church. You don't have to bring me back. I will. You say about I that. do too. <laughs> I got some beef out of this. Oh, I'm beefed out. But you know, you don't always meet pastors who are open minded. Um, and I have in my life, I have met a few pastors that are very open minded and will listen to you. We ran across one during the protest, protest and he was very open minded to what we were saying. Um, but you don't see that too often. So a lot of people are not. Um, and I feel like even in the church, like the Bible teaches love. Um, so you can't say that you you what the Bible the Bible say love covers a multitude of, of sin. sin. There we go. But tell them about the word. That what it say. But they don't live by that because you can't say you live by that when we come to church every Sunday and you spend your whole sermon bashing people who are gay. Like you can't even say that you're living by the Bible when you do that. Girl, one Sunday I was sitting at church. And this pastor pulled a stud up on stage. <laughs> no, he got line. Really was. He pulled a stud up on stage talking about how the whole church praying that the spirit come up out of. See, I don't play those type of games because you, you know what? You're going to have to be respectful. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of shit happening in the church that people should check and people don't. But it's not a lot of people like me in the church because if I see something that I'm not, it's not serious with me, it's getting checked. Like, it's getting checked. Come on, we got to get back He's on the subject. Wait, right, yeah, we sure got off the top. <laughs> Tell us about the bathroom. Oh, I did. Oh, well, shit. Look. Yeah, he, he he wasn't open-minded. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't even want to look look at anything. Because, you know, when you when you come into a situation, like, a situation like that, you can't just be talking off the top of your head. You got to have hard-cold facts. You got to have proof. You got to have research. And that's what I had. But he didn't want to see it. He didn't want to believe, yeah, believe it, see it, hear nothing. So, you know, that was the end of it. That's, that's real. So going back on the topic that um we started off on, so tracing like origins back from like Greek mythology down like to the Aryan race, the yeah the Aryan race. So they carried that like belief that you know homosexual homosexuality was bad. So when they brought enslaved people across the diaspora. They created different colonies for different things. So, you know, they had breeding camps down in Jamaica and the um, they had different types of plantations. But I want to specifically focus on these breeding camps that were created in the Caribbean. So what they would do is, is they would put all males in one area and 
if they they will all be black so there was no no women no children just white men so anytime they felt like an enslaved male was doing something wrong or problematic they would butt break him so what did what 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 is butt breaking butt breaking is a noun offensive uncountable the alleged act of publicly punishing a male slave typically by first flogging him and subsequently sexually assaulting or raping him in front of other slaves to humiliate him now they come from google you know so that means that's verified that's i don't yeah that's verified so exactly what the definition says anytime they felt like somebody was doing something wrong they would break them in in front of the entire village and it would humiliate those black men and what they what these black men would do is they would take that and they demonized it because it's trauma and that i feel like has a lot to do with homosexuality in the black community and why it's so negatively stigmatized because of the trauma associated with it and the thing that people really don't take like much thought into is the fact that these white men were struggling with their sexuality so they were coming into these places which were completely controlled and isolated and they were taking out their homosexuality upon those men no one could tell them no no one told them to stop it and they got to go back to their homes and they wives and they cute little kids kiss them on the forehead and act like they ain't just got down digging in the good guts so that that my friend is why i feel like it has such a negative stigma in the black community do you have like more thoughts on this topic that's fine then we can we can go we can go to the next one yeah so i wanted to talk about sagging too because that is a direct correlation from butt breaking because when master got done butt breaking that boy what he do he pulled them pants down so so all everybody knew that he had already been broken in so your pants was below your butt and they knew what had been done to you so then yes what this like what is sagging mean in slavery some white masses would rape their african-american slaves so yeah i already said this the victims were forced to wear their pants sagging so the masses could not could identify them for future acts. The negative connotations from book breaking created a negative stigma of gay black men. This stigma has been carried from generations and it heavily affects the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. And then they take that shit and they try to make it so cool. Or at least they it was really cool back in 2007. Them broke boys still sagging though. In jail. Oh, them jokers be on the corner, they still be sagging. It's hot outside. Why are you wearing boxes, a pair of basketball shows, and then a pair of what Rockwell jeans? Right. I don't know, but I know they spike. All right, so we're gonna move on. You might want to stop in between each question, okay? In case we need to, like, because I don't know about this section, it was all over the place. <laughs> I think the next question. Should black people shame other black people for using slang, also known as African American vernacular English, while speaking? Um, no, and personally for me, the type of black people who say stuff like we shouldn't use niggas, they're not the black people for me. Like them are not the niggas I'm trying to be around because I say niggas and I use slang and I cuss and then you know, they're just me. Do you feel like using slang like really makes you unprofessional? Like when you go into like work environments, do you use slang still? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Um, I don't really, I don't really, I know we're gonna talk about code switching later, but um, I guess it's part of it. I don't really feel the need to switch up my language. Um, and yes, like in certain situations, you like in certain places, you have to use correct English, you have to, you know, do what you do. And I always use correct English, um, but I don't think that I have to stop saying certain things um in a in a place i really have to learn that though because when you are in college they really like put it into you that you have to be a certain way like they you take classes on the fact that you have to present yourself in a certain way to be taken seriously when you get a career um and it takes a lot of unlearning to realize that it's not always the case because one thing i found in my career is i've never had to be anything but myself to get to the places where i am and actually i feel like being my true authentic self has opened doors for me that 
that if I wasn't being myself, I would have never had open. I can definitely say the same thing for myself, and that is the freaking truth. And to be honest with you, and let's just go ahead and start talking about code switching, because why not? Me, personally, I'm too tired to code switch. Okay, it's like a lot of work. <laughs> it Oh, so they do. So, my, my thing is this. Okay, I'm in school for history. Anytime I try to explain anything, I'm incapable of using slang. Um, it's so deeply ingrained in me to like to find the most perfect words in order to speak when I'm explaining stuff because I only have that type of knowledge for it. But when I'm done explaining some, we going right back to new. I ain't got nothing else for them. And I just feel like it takes too much energy. It does. It really do. You don't expect Mexican folks to be speaking correct English. They don't. I mean, do you really expect your nail tech to speak correct English every time she get on your hand? Not at all. All right. So let me go ahead. African African American vernacular English, also referred to as Black English, Black English vernacular, or occasionally Ebonics, is the variety of English native speaking, particularly in urban communities, by most working middle class African Americans and some Black Canadians. Um. People are often ashamed in the workplace and school and socially for incorporating African-American vernacular into their daily speech. So could a person make the argument that African-American vernacular English should be considered a, pig, a pigeon language? Definitely, because if somebody heard us saying some things, they wouldn't even know what we were saying. They, they would hear us, but they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't comprehend. We see that all the time by white people getting on social media and using slang, and it makes absolutely no fucking sense. What is? Give me a good example of that. Make me chuckle. Good, come on. <laughs> but just okay. So, so I say I be, I be going. I say I be going faithful to the point where I don't even think about the fact that I say I be going. And if I say I be going, you didn't know exactly what I meant. But if I was in a situation where around people who don't understand what I'm saying, and I said I be going, they would be like, "What you like? What do you mean I be going? You be going where?" Or you know, it, it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't click to them. Good. Uh, oh, so I got a new cohort. She just fresh off the boat from India. She just got here three days ago. And not only do I use African-American vernacular heavily in my speech, I'm stupid country. Same. So she tell me she don't understand my accent. I'm like, what accent? I don't understand your accent. <laughs> so now I got to sit here and try to break down what it is I'm trying to say to her and I don't know what to do I don't know what not to say and I'm bad I talk to my teachers I be like um they be like you ready for the day Morgan I be like yes sir I reckon my <laughs> professor brain said Morgan you reckon yes we just gonna go like that but for those who do not know a pigeon language is a restrictive language which arises from purposes of communication between two social groups of which one is more dominant position than the other one the less dominant group is the one which develops the pigeon so a great example of this is um uh what is it the ivory coast it's a francophone country so they are black, black people, but they speak French, but they also speak a dialect that is a combination between like Creole, it is French, and it's also like native African tongue. So that is what is considered a pidgin language. And it's nationally, it's globally recognized as a pidgin language. So when it comes to like African-American vernacular, I also feel like it should be considered a pidgin language because it is literally a mix. It's a, the melting pot of language when it comes to America. It's some things we couldn't even be able to describe if we didn't mm -hmm. use slang to be real with you. And a lot of people are saying that they compare how like black Southerners and Jamaicans are, are the same when it comes to language and how we say things. Um, because like, like you said, like how you and your, your cohort uh, from India, like you don't understand what you're saying, but, and even not just your language, but your interactions, like the way you move, like if, 
when you sit in the room when it's only two black people and something happened and y'all look at each other like, did you see that? Yeah. But we ain't have to say shit. Like, we, we get what we're trying to say. We ain't have to say nothing. We get it. They be saying black people can speak telepathically. We can. We know what we talking about. I know. I know what I be talking about. And I know okay. the nigga next to me right. too. Oh, you saw that shit? And I had to say, even open my mouth. But you saw that shit and you know I'm asking you, did you see that shit? <laughs> <laughs> I love that for us. All right. So we're next, we're migrating to continuing to speak to code switch between black and white spaces in which we did describe what code switching is. Did you create your own definition for code switching? Okay, so code switching is the practice of alternating between two or more languages or varieties of language in a conversation. And it has a lot to do with uh, double consciousness. And for those who don't know, W.E.B. Du Bois termed the phrase double consciousness, which describes being black and being American at the same time and how it feels to navigate in and out of black and white spaces and essentially change a persona when you enter and exit every situation to, I guess, fit the situation of every situation that you're in. And like we said, it's draining. Very. At this point, though, I don't even think it's something I think about. Like, I don't go into a white space and think, like, oh, I got to change the way I talk. Like, I'm I'm to the point now where I'm very secure in who I am and very secure in what I bring. So that's not something that even crosses my mind when I come into white spaces. I know, like, a lot of people, they don't, they're not there yet. And I get it. Um, it, take, it takes some work to get there. I want you to know, last night we had a party for the history department, and we had a band on stage. Every time they got done playing... I'm in this bad boy. Boyaco, boyaco. I'm in this bad boy. These folks looking at me upside my head, and I'm looking at them like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> Just point it out to me because I don't see it. I don't see no point in code switching, no way. Um, it just takes all the fun out of it, actually. And I feel like they almost expect us to do it, mm-hmm. to make them feel comfortable. But I'm not here to make anybody feel comfortable. I'm here to make myself feel comfortable, yep. to be honest with you um let's see just be yourself speak in a way that makes you feel comfortable and helps you convey your point to the best of your ability you know the the girls who get it get it they don't they lost in the sauce but get what it, it don't have nothing to do with me one thing i will say is something that is being a, a transition for me um and since we're talking about color switch we also should talk about being like we're seen as professional because people say that in your in your career i don't work in like a corporate type of thing i work in nonprofits, so it's kind of like a little bit laid back but it was a transition to me how we are taught in high school and college that you have to be like dressed up and so professional and you know we deal with not being able to wear hair in certain ways you can't wear nappy hair you can't wear braids you can't wear colors because it's not seen as professional but what is professionalism because in my last job i would come to work and i'd be putting that shit on because you know what i'm trying to look good but they would have on like shorts and t-shirts and then ran down new bands and, and flip-flops Ooh, and i'm like so how are you trying to police me for being professional? And this is what you have on. But I got this shit on. But because my hair is kinky in locks or something, I'm, I'm not professional. professional. That is something that I've dealt with a lot, especially like um in my academic career being viewed as unprofessional. Let's talk about like um dressing for plus size bodies in the mm-hmm. workplace because it's something that I struggle with a lot. So um I'm blessed with big titties. I'm the president of the big titty committee. Hey, how nice. you doing? Nice president. I know that's right. So the thing about it is I wear clothes, they're gonna fit me differently mm-hmm. because of the way that my body is made up. And majority of black women, you know, like when black people black women, black people join the military, they don't usually go by the average BMI body mass index they tape us they take a tape measure they tape your neck your wrist they measure your waist because they have to do different types of sizing with different with our body types because we are genetically grown to just be stronger and healthier and bulkier you know we really were genetically modified through breeding so when i walk up into a place you know what i'm saying i'm stacked i got the titties thighs booted what you need i got it so the thing is is oh you look unprofessional you showing your breasts am i showing my breasts or do i just have breasts exactly because i'm they covered up they really are and, you see them. yeah and i can't do nothing about it let me take them off and leave them at home i, I wish yeah actually 
And I have to fight with these things every morning every when morning. I wake up. They be up under my neck choking me. One of mine be up under my armpits when I wake up in the morning. It's hard. It's sad. So, and and that's another thing. And I know all the big beauty, the big booty, beautiful, luscious black women, they really be struggling finding work pants to go to work in. And I know that people really do be on their necks about the way that they clothes fit them. And really, am I trying to show off my curves or do I just have curves? And again, like professionalism is rooted in white supremacy and Eurocentricism because those standards were created for them by them and trying to make me adhere to them. It, it don't work yeah, for me. I don't fit in those standards. I know, but I, I still feel a lot of stress behind mm -hmm. it. Even um, getting this position as a grad student, I'm, this is probably my biggest fears. Is like people telling me that I'm going to look unprofessional. My family is worried for me and my dressing in grad school because they're scared. And they got me scared, too. I don't really think there's something that I'm, there's something that you really have to just do on your own. Like wearing clothes that you feel comfortable in, wearing clothes that you like the way they look, wearing clothes that make you feel good. And I think once you tackle that and once you have a wardrobe that you like, that you like to put on, that, you know, I like to wear a lot of colors. So that's what I put on. So when I go to meetings and I'm securing what I have on, I like what I have on, then it really doesn't matter to me if people say like, oh, that's not professional. Because I mean, what is that? I don't Am know. I, can I still do my job? Is next time you doing my job? Let's go back. Let's backtrack to what, because they tell us what we can wear, but yet, like you said, yesterday I had, the other day I had my interview, um, my training assessment for a teacher assistant. They told us to wear business professional. I'm booted and tooted down to the gods. I'm talking about, man, I didn't put some lapel pins on the collar of my jacket. I'm stepping. So we up there at eight o'clock in the morning. Why does white guy got on khaki shorts, a polo shirt? I'm talking about ain't babe, ain't showered. You look dusty. Yeah, uneven. Like what is you doing? He got on the new balances, and and he still passed. But how you gonna put all this on me? I'm talking about. I done pulled out the works. My bag was matching my 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 laptop bag matching my shoes, but. I guess I'm tired of talking about this. <laughs> I will say though, it's a time and place for everything, and not to say that just because I don't believe in I don't believe in being professional that I just show up any kind of fucking way. Like I like I'm always gonna be presentable, and I'm always gonna be dressed to the tee, and my hair always gonna be done. Like I'm always gonna look good and presentable, but I don't think that somebody should be able to tell me that I'm not professional because of the way that I dress if I'm still capable of doing my job. All right. What solutions can you offer that can help Black people practice Afrocentricity in their day-to-day -day lives and reverse the effects of white brainwashing? Just being secure in who you are as a person, as a Black person, me as a Black woman, make sure that you like who you are. You know, sometimes you don't. And if you don't, you you fix things. You work actively work on becoming a person that you enjoy, that you like, that you want everybody else to experience and when you figure out who that person is and you become that person you really don't even think about what other people have to say or are code switching or being professional or doing any of those things because you are very secure in who you are yeah i would also add stay true to your roots like i feel like what you did as a child that is a key part of your blackness because mm -hmm. we all grew up not all the majority of us especially in the south we grew up very very black yeah, especially me and you yeah i know i grew up as a negro <laughs> child so um y'all stay true to y'all roots cling on to your childhoods and make sure that y'all are passing those traditions down to y'all children your cousins children your best friend children mm -hmm. yeah and and black people are my standard i don't compare black people to anybody else because when i i live in a very black in a black world like and it's kind of small, well, not even small to say, but my worldview is very black. And I don't ever plan on changing it. I don't want to look outside of that. When I see black people, that's my standard. I don't have to compare us to anybody else, any other white, any other race. Like, oh, white people do that, so black people do that. That's not even in my mind because my worldview was just black. Like, that's all I think about. That is Afrocentricity. That is viewing the world from an Afrocentristic perspective. And that is something that I most definitely practice on a day-to-day -day life. Like, white people is another factor, if you, if you ask me. I'm only looking for what black people mm -hmm. doing because we set the example. We mm -hmm. are the blueprint. So, um, you need to invest in more black heroes. 
you need to be looking up you need to be researching and you don't they don't you don't always have to read but find you some prominent black leaders not even from this century y'all need to take it back y'all need to go back mary church to real out of b wells y'all need to be talking to a freaking uh, go back in history and find y'all some people to look up to because these modern folks ain't nothing to look up to to be honest with you and definitely learn your history read about it study about it not even just the world history but your own personal history as a black person um it's do your research on it because when you learn who you are as a black person that means your ancestors too um and when you figure out who they are you know how to talk to them you know what they want from you you know how to to use what they're doing so make sure you research it that's real um you got any other advice for the people no no y'all just um remember the only thing you gotta do is stay black and die i know that's right all right shout out to the slaves yeah shout out to the slaves you feel me shout out to harriet tubman that shout was out to, my she's a real nigga. shout out to the real niggas and shout out again to all those people who hate my guts y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world keep breaking these men down one at a time you are obsessed and sick all right you guys now it's time for our next segment called the big black shout out <laughs> This portion of the show is for the invited guests, and it will give our audience members an opportunity to learn more and explore Black-owned businesses, Black-owned media, and Black safe spaces. It is a way to help put people on as well as to help circulate the Black dollar in the Black community. So, Yolanda, who do you want to shout out today? So let's get it going. So, first, I'm going to shout out my sister. I can't. I got to start off with her. This is my blood. This is my girl. So, my sister made these bunnies. Let me tell you about these bunnies. You put them on and they don't move. It don't matter what you're doing. The bunny is not coming off. She make them by hand. She go to the fabric store. She pick out the fabric. She go home. She sew it up by hand. She does everything by hand. And like I said, the bunny is not coming off. It's not moving. Yeah, I also want to say that I have purchased two bunnets from her. They are fantastic. They're reversible. The They're satin. Let me say that that's not going to strip your hair of no moisture. It's not going to wick your ends. And she also, she mails them. Like, you can get these anywhere. You can order these online if you click the link in the bio. Link in the bio. Okay. And, yeah, they don't move. My elastic has not stretched at all. My and then my sister hair is huge and it's like it's a big bunny. Mm -hmm. It can put you can put like locks and stuff. Yeah, I, right there. now I have locks, thirty six inch locks, and all this hair going to bunny. And the and the legs does not stretch. That's beautiful. Shout out to you, Tiff. Where can we find Tiffany? Uh, you can find her on Instagram at um beautiful underscore. It's spelled B E A U T I F L U L underscore underscore. And her business Instagram is also in her bio, which is beautifully made, beautifully dot made. Yes, um, I'm talking about birthday gifts, anniversary gifts. You're gonna get your mom. She even made something. baby bunnies, so better get you one. Baby showers, everything. Yes, that's a good gift. I love that. Who we shouting out next? All right, next, I'm gonna go with the food because I love to eat. And you know, one thing about me, I got good taste. I know good food, so take my word. I'm gonna shout out the genre in Memphis, Tennessee. If you ever in the area, make sure you stop by for brunch. They have Taco Tuesday, karaoke night. Let me tell you about the shrimp and grease. Tell me about them. 10 out of 10. No, man. What I really want to talk about is the wing. Because I know a good wing. The wing, when you bite into it, you're supposed to hit a crunch. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be crispy. Mm -hmm. Like some of their edges out here. Fried. <laughs> the wings is 10 out of 10. Go get you some. Go get you some of them wings. I would not lead y'all wrong. What flavor you recommend? I recommend, you know, you can't, but people be talking about lemon pickles. But, but I fuck with lemon pickles. Because, you know, they're consistent. You got to always give something that's consistent. But the tangy barbecue. The honey gold, the the honey gold hits. Yes. The honey gold hits. But if you're ever feeling a little, a little, a little extra, mix the honey gold with the lemon pepper. That's beautiful. And there you go. I know that. Okay. Shout out to the genre of Memphis, Tennessee. And their Instagram is the genre M E M. The genre M. This live. Who the next person we shout out? All right, the next person. My girl Jackie J Nails in Clarksville, Tennessee. She used to keep me together, keep my nails on point. When I tell you it wasn't nothing out of place, she had me together. She had me together. So I want to shout her out because she is so creative. We would sit there and she would just be drying all my nails. And then we would get done. And I would just look like, how the fuck did you do that? You but were her did. brand ambassador. I was her brand ambassador. She would tell me to come in. She wanted to make a lot of content for her um Instagram and stuff. So I just let her do whatever. And I put all of my trust in her with my nails. And she never disappoint. Never disappointed. 
Well, shout out to her. We love the black creatives. Mm-hmm. You go, queen. What's her name again? Jackie J. Nails on Instagram. Shout out to you, Jackie J. We love to see shit happen. Who's the next person that we right. shout now? The next one is a platform. Sip Talk. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter um, under Sip Talk. But I just think that Mississippi is overlooked in so many ways. It is so much talent in Mississippi that is overlooked from artistry, from photographers to everything and sip talk really amplifies those voices it gives them a space to be celebrated it gives them a, a, a voice to just talk about things that matter to black mississippians i really love their platform well shout out to sip talk where can we find sip talk you can find them on instagram and twitter all right shout out to y'all next one who is all our right. final the shout last out. one now i love music so i'm gonna shout out this you know i really want to shout out this one album that just came out and I really want to shout out to Elle because we can't even talk about music right now and not talk about the Renaissance album. Like, we just can't do it. Beyonce did what she needs to do. So we can't even leave that off. Okay. But I do want to shout out this other album that has really been in rotation. More Black Superheroes by Westside Boogie. If y'all have not heard it, go listen. And go listen to him. He makes quality music and no skips. What like type album. of vibes is the Westside um, Boogie giving? He, he gives, like, ride in the car and sometimes with the top-down vibes. R&B? It's not really R&B. It's like a smooth rap. Okay, grown to say it. But go listen. He he talks about their real shit. Black superheroes in his album. He talks about mental health in his album. I really love this album. So go listen to it. Yeah, this sounds really nice. Shout out to all the black creators, the black hustlers. You know, we trying to put y'all on. If y'all got somebody y'all would want me to shout out, please make sure that you email me at afrocentricpodcast at gmail.com. We putting everybody on. Please forgive me for any sins in which I committed. Those I know of and those I don't know of, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for beating this bitch ass today, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for thinking about beating her ass again, Lord. Please rebuke all these demons that's in this house, Lord. I pray that's to really you, necessary. And for the final segment of the afternoon, we will be doing the altar call. I just wanted to do an all-star with y'all. I'm going to do it at the end of every episode just to let y'all know that the Lord hears you. And I want to let y'all know that I'm yet fasting and praying Amen. on y'all behalf today. Yes. Deep prayer. The Spirit is moving, actually. He's moving. Yes. So, if you got anybody you would like for us to be praying and fasting for, um, yes, go ahead and send it to on my email as well so today we are praying for our brother of the muslim faith kevin gates um i really i really don't know what's going on with kevin and i love kevin but i just feel like it's time for um the lord to lay his hands on him and not his lord my lord yo Oh yeah, that's probably what it is that's wrong with the baby. I don't know, but Kevin, baby, I'm praying for you. I'm talking about in deep mourning. Speak nothing of this. Okay, actually, we gonna speak on it. We, <laughs> I'm yelling it out from the rooftop of Jerusalem. Yes, we are praying for you. I was also asked to pray for R. Kelly. Um, R. Kelly currently has a baby on the way, so I was asked to pray for the baby. You know what? That I'm gonna pray about a whole lot of different things and send my prayers on R. Kelly. Robert? Prayers down. No, prayers no. down. Prayers down. Prayers down. <laughs> we will be um praying for the baby. As the Republicans say, there's life. There's there's life, and you know, life is important outside of the uterus so we're gonna pray for the baby and for the baby mama because we know she is delusional and we hope that the baby don't follow in her footsteps amen amen all right next on the prayer for this afternoon mr herb got it we will be praying for him as well yes actually we need mr herb got it to meet us after service at the office yes we are going to do an usher gate around him we're going to baptize him one more good time to knock that jealousy and obsession up out of his heart you know what i need to pray for his wife because you got to sit there and listen to your husband talk about the shanty you mean have you seen the shanty like of course you've seen the shanty but have you really seen the shanty yes because she yes so now that we were actually we want both of them to meet us 
such an agree. Yes. Um, yes. We will be praying for them. I will be getting my good anointing oil out of my purse for both of them, and I will be heating it up because the Lord is going to be working and doing miracles on their behalf. Amen. Amen. All right. So the final person that we will be praying for this afternoon is Miss Kim Burrell. Um, for those who ain't seen Kim cutting up, Kim is she supposed cuts to up now. That's she, all she sideways, sideways she cuts up. So Kim is supposed to be a a part of the Church of God in Christ, but yet she is tearing down her brothers and sisters, and she is not asking for prayers in Jesus' name. So um, we are praying and asking the Lord and the ancestors to teach Kim how to pray. That's that's what we need to do. Um, we removing, we asking God to remove the spirit of hate from about that. It's in there. It's deep. It's deep up in there. And you know what? That hate is so deep. It's making her look older than what she is. Thirty five, thirty nine. I think she's thirty nine. Kim ain't thirty nine. She look like she's sixty three. She do look sixty three. It might be the wig though. The glasses were cocked upside her nose like that. That's why. That's why she looked like that. It was the angle of the glasses. Yes, but. We praying for Kimberly. Um, yes. So uh Shana Nahaya, um uh Wana Abusha, yes, Lord, move in this place today. Amen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now look, this is the altar call. If y'all got anybody else that I need to be praying for, y'all just let I'm me praying know. Against. Praying against, yes. We praying that your haters are no longer your motivators. We want you to motivate yourself. You don't need no haters like talking about, okay? So, um, yeah, that's it. In Jesus' name, amen. I just would like to take the time to thank you, London Kelly. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here with me on my first recording of my podcast. Um, is there anything that you would like to say, a final message that you would like to leave for the listeners? Make sure y'all keep, keep tuning in to my girl. My girl got some real shit to say. I wouldn't even leave y'all straight. My girl, Morgan, it's very much an honor for me to be here with you. I, I always look up to you as a black woman because just like you said about me, who are very opinionated and I stand on my shit, you stand on your shit always, 10 toes down on it. So keep doing it. So y'all tune in to her for the next few episodes and keep, I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Ooh. I'm very excited to see where it goes and I'm very proud of you for doing this. So Thank y'all you. stay tuned to my girl. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and close the show out. So thank you so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. Please remember that Black Lives Matter. Listen and protect black listen and protect black women. And the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is to be black and die. And remember that we are just civilized people having civilized conversations. Bye-bye. <laughs>